sermon in our series on the Holy Spirit. We've covered a number of topics. Uh, and today everything sort of culminates, but I'll, you sort of need to remember what we've already talked about, how that the Spirit's role in dwelling us, working through and with the Word of God, giving life, filling us, leading us, transforming us, changing us. And today, we are looking at the gifts of the Spirit. Now, our reading is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. But I want to give just a bit of a, a preamble that this passage in 1 Corinthians is a, are instructions given by the Apostle Paul to somewhere where a church that's struggling with getting the gifts a bit wrong. They're misunderstanding some things. So I would encourage you um, not to take all your ideas on the gifts of the Spirit from a, a situation where it's going a bit awry. In fact, if you want to read more about the gifts of the Spirit, please go to Romans chapter 12, and we'll touch on that in our message this morning. But filter. Filter these things through other passages. Read it fully. Read from chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians right through to chapter 14. Get a full picture of what the apostle is saying to that church there. Now, my, my hope today... <clears throat> is that we don't, I, I'm not here to um, talk down on other churches or anything like that. Um, I'm not here to have a go at people. But I do acknowledge that there are teachers in churches that get things drastically wrong. There are teachers today that wouldn't be out of place on a show like Penn and Teller's Fool Us when it comes to spiritual gifts. There are teachers today that much like in the Corinthian church are seeking to exhibit a gift that would suggest that they're more spiritual or more powerful than others. Today we're not going to be like in a sporting contest picking teams. We're more going to be talking about the game itself. So let's start with our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, and going through to verse 11. Please follow along with your Bibles if you have them there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who appoints to each one individually 
as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. There is something inside of me that gets more joy out of watching a parent open a present than a child. Stick with me, it's okay. I'm not not saying I don't like kids getting happy, but there's something in me that gets more out of seeing a parent do it. They do it differently. I prefer to watch my wife open a present given to her than watch my kids. And the reason is because my wife is mature. My children are not. You might notice, you give a gift to a parent, where do they go first? They go to the card. They look at who's given the gift and they they say thank you, they acknowledge. Where does the child go? They rip the wrapping off. They don't even care if mum has spent a good half hour wrapping, choosing the bow or whatever it is that that mothers put on presents. They just go straight for the gift. Straight to revealing the newest of their acquisitions. A parent is selfless. A child is selfish. I mean, give a block of chocolate to a parent and it'll be opened and broken up for everyone to share. Give it to a child, they'll disappear into the room and... (laughs) come out later with, you know, remnants of it all over their mouths and their fingers. Now, I know that analogy breaks down in some households, okay? I'll let you deal with that yourself. Two blocks of chocolate, one for, yeah. The same thing happens with churches and the gifts of the Spirit. Some churches see the benefit of the gift for the individual. In these cases, they'll they'll narrow their vision of what are valuable, what are legitimate gifts of the Spirit. They'll narrow their vision as what is to be most desired. And they'll tend to focus on the more powerful displays that are some spiritual gifts. They'll seek these sorts of things in their worship services. And these are the sort of things that Paul is offering correction to in our passage this morning. But there are also other churches who go too far the other way, who may be out of fear of spiritual gifts, may be out of seeing it abused in other places, or just maybe out of ignorance. They instead ignore many gifts of the Spirit and thus start to quench the Spirit's work in that gathered community. One commentator makes this observation. He says, In far too many churches, people come, listen to a preacher, and do little else. No wonder the charge has been made that the body of Christ seems to have one big mouth and many little ears. But that is not how Paul viewed the church. While it is true that some have a special responsibility to teach and preach, 
Paul stresses that every Christian is responsible to build up the church. And as we talk about this game, as we look at building up the church and the gifts roles in that, in focusing on our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll look at two aspects that Paul highlights for us. They are the common source of the gifts and the common purpose of the gifts. And I think understanding these, the common source and the common purpose, will help us to avoid misusing, misusing or misplacing the gifts in our church here. The first we see is the common source in verses 4 to 6. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The spiritual gifts are founded in the Godhead. They are founded in the Trinity. They reflect the giver. The Godhead is a unity of diversity. It is the Father, Son, and Spirit. Distinct persons, but the same nature. The same God. And so there is variety when it comes to spiritual gifts. There's diversity in gifts, but is the same source. And the giving of spiritual gifts... And the gifts themselves actually reflect the character of God. They reflect a giving God, a loving God, and a gracious God. And the use of these gifts amongst the people of God is actually an act of worship offered to God. They are gifts empowered by him, given to whomever and whenever he chooses. They are not a sign of a person's superiority or spirituality, as the Corinthian believers thought. The possession of a gift of the Spirit is not a result of an individual's merit. It's not a result of their worthiness of the gift. It is given by the grace of God. The fact is that a gift of the Spirit says more about the giver than the receiver. They are gracious gifts. And because of this, it means that they are not grounds for boasting, but grounds for serving. This takes us to verse 7, which is sort of the, the crux of this passage. It, it's central to Paul's thought. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here we see the purpose of the gifts. 
gifts are given to be used. And they're to be used to build up the body of Christ. So the word here that's translated as common good also appears in chapter 6, verse 12 of this letter. It appears also in chapter 10, verse 23. And the context of its use there is that it would be, it's translated as helpful, something as being helpful or beneficial. And the context is about drawing glory to God and building up his body. So it makes sense then that the place of gifts of the Spirit, as far as Paul's thought goes, is that not given for our own indulgence, but to benefit the community that we are a part of. Each gift is given for the whole body, for their common good, for their benefit. So what is a spiritual gift? We could define a spiritual gift as an empowerment from God for God's people through the Holy Spirit for spiritual work in the church. And some gifts appear to magnify ordinary talents, some such as leadership, gift of generosity, gift of helping, while other gifts are out of the ordinary. They have a special supernatural quality to them, the gift of healing, miracles, tongues, prophecy. And Paul gives us a representative list in our passage this morning in verses 8 through to 10. More of these can be found in verses 28 to 30, as well as Romans 12, as I mentioned earlier. Now, I'm not highlighting and colouring things just because I'm sick of black and white. My hope there is that highlights the diversity of gifts. Some of them are grouped together in colours, but that's all over it, such diversity, yet... There's such unity as well. The Spirit, the same Spirit, the one Spirit. All lists, lists of gifts of the Spirit are representative. They are not comprehensive. We should not treat a list of the Spirit as all that there is when it comes to gifts of the Spirit. That's not what Paul's trying to do here. He's not trying to exhaust the repertoire of the Spirit's gift. What Paul's trying to do is to highlight the diversity of gifts, especially in churches that have narrowed their vision. And he's seeking to show value in gifts that have been left aside. And he, he is seeking to show how all of these gifts are useful for building up the church. Just briefly, I might talk about some of the gifts. I know there are people here who have heard all this before. There are also people here who have never heard anything like this. So let me offer some definitions that aren't 
necessarily mine, but paraphrases of what other people have said as well, of what some of these gifts are. The utterance or the message of wisdom is most likely the ability to give guidance for dealing with challenging circumstances. It's a real practical guidance that relates to knowledge of the word, but also applied to a certain situation. The message of knowledge seems to be a message marked by theological understanding, including understanding based on spirit-inspired study of the scripture. The gift of faith is likely an extraordinary God-given confidence in God's saving power and presence. The gift of healing, the privilege of being the recipient or the channel of miraculous healings. Gift of miracles, serving as a, a channel for the miraculous eschatological manifestation of God's power to save and to judge. When I read that, I thought the Red Sea crossing in the Exodus. You know, that sort of thing based on God's power to save. Prophecy is the communication of a message given by God as a response to and tailored to the special needs and issues of those gathered to hear it. With this one is coupled the gift of discernment of spirits. And it is a special ability to evaluate the origin, authority, and application of the prophetic message. The gift of tongues, the ability to speak to God in unlearned human or angelic languages. Coupled with that, the gift of interpretation of tongues. The ability to translate or interpret what was said to God through the gift of tongues. Many gifts, a diversity of gifts. But how do we actually know when one of these is legit? How do we know that it's not just an attempt by someone to fool us? One way that can help us to discern this is to look at the whole of someone's life. We should not expect the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in someone through a gift if that person's life does not show the evidence of the Spirit's transforming work. But see, nor should we expect the Holy Spirit to be doing his transforming work in someone's life and not manifest himself in the form of a gift. Every person is indwelt by the Spirit. Sorry, every believer is indwelt by the Spirit. And every believer is given a gift of the Spirit. Paul singles out the gift of tongues for special mention, but not necessarily to condemn it but to quarantine it. The gift of tongues is not to be used when the church gathers, unless the gift of interpretation is present. That's what Paul says in chapter 14, verse 28. 
tongues as a gift that is not for everyone because its benefit is limited. It's kind of like yodeling. I mean, good if you can do it, but it's best kept to yourself. <laughs> Paul sees the gift of tongues as a private gift, something that will build the person, the individual up in their relationship with God. And he applies this principle of the common good for the body in verses 18 to 19 of 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul is clear in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 14 that speaking in tongues is beneficial, but the benefit is restricted to the individual, not so much for the gathered community. And that is why Paul is careful to restrict its use. Now, there are similarities and differences between the first century church and the 21st century church. I mean, we still worship the same God. We have the same spirit in us. But there are differences. The structure of how we gather is no doubt different today than what it was back then. But another major difference relates to the word of God. The first century church did not have the full canon of scripture at their disposal. They were reliant on letters like 1 Corinthians. They were reliant on the gifts of prophecy. They were reliant on messages of knowledge and wisdom. And as a result of the differences that we now had, mostly related to the scripture, the use of some gifts may not be as prominent today or may not be exercised in the same way that they were back in the first century. But that does not mean that the gifts has, have ceased. The question that Paul wants the church to ask themselves when it comes to the exercising of gifts is will the exercising of this gift in this situation build up my brothers and sisters? Is it beneficial for the church? Well, if the answer is yes, then exercise it and do so in humility and love. So where, where Paul gives us instruction on the spiritual gifts here in Corinthians as well as in Romans chapter 12, he does so in the context of the body. He's using body imagery. But he also wraps it in humility and love. Let's read some of Romans chapter 12 now and notice this wrapping of humility and love around the spiritual gifts. Paul says, 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. The common good, the gifts of the Spirit exercised in the body of Christ, wrapped in humility and love. Gifts of the Spirit are given to be used. They are not given to be hoarded and inventoried, but they're given to be used lovingly and in humility. So how do we discover what gifts we have been given? Well, to that I'd like to say that we're probably more likely to have gifts that are given to us recognised by other people before we recognise them in ourselves. But they've got to be used. We do that by practising, by putting ourselves in those situations. Don Bradman did not realise that he was a talented cricketer until he picked up a bat. And then the world noticed the man had a gift. Julie Andrews, a gifted singer. But to exercise that gift, to realise she had that gift, she had to give it a crack. She had to stand up and belt out a tune. The best way to recognise your giftings is to put yourself in situations when where your gift can be exercised. To gather regularly with God's people. Get involved in one another's lives. Come on Sunday and hang around for a time. Get hooked into a connect group. Or gather in smaller groups for support and accountability. Talk with one another. Pray with one another, bear one another's burdens. As we love and serve each other in these ways, our gifts will become obvious and we'll have the ability to use them for the common good. To quote one writer, we would do well to have less concern about identifying gifts and more concern about being a gift, that is, about how the spirit functions through us to strengthen the body. See, muscle, when it's exercised, builds muscle. 
Faith, when it's exercised, builds faith. Gifts of the Spirit, when they are exercised, build the community of God. We're given gifts to use, friends, not to bury in the ground. And Paul has encouraged the Corinthians to use the gifts to the best ability they are able. I mean, no one would expect an eight-year-old baby to run. But you'd expect them to be trying to get a handle on crawling. Did I say eight-year-old? Month. No one expects an eight-month-old to run. My eight-year-old is quite fast. But you would expect them to be getting a handle on crawling, wouldn't you? What's appropriate to their age. We're to be using and exercising our gifts in proportion to our faith, to the fullest measure that we can. The question for us as a church is are we using ours? Are we exercising our gifts to the fullest measure that we can? Are we hindering our use of gifts or the the use of other people being able to exercise their gifts in our community? Maybe if we're doing that, it's because we have a too narrow view of why or when we gather as a church. Maybe we focus on just the Sunday morning and the times between the call to worship and the benediction. Maybe for church, it's it's the time when we come and take our seat, and that's all. Well, that's not how church is to be understood. Church happens whenever we gather. Not just when we sing, not just when we read the word. It happens over morning tea. It happens after the service here. It happens out the back when the kids are running amok and parents are gathered talking. Church happens when we gather during the rest of the week in our homes, in different rooms of the church. It happens when we gather on the sideline of a soccer field. It happens when we gather as God's people in a park. And dare I say, it can happen over the phone. The reality of the Holy Spirit should be manifest in our lives throughout all of these times. They are all opportunities to share our gifts. We are a people, a community of God who need to gather together, not isolate ourselves. And when we gather, we need to go deeper. If we're satisfied when we gather to keep our relationships just on the crust, just on the surface level, And we will miss some of the most crucial work of the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged, friends, to seek to go deeper 
in our relationships with each other. Go deeper in biblical truth. But go deeper in the other aspects of life, in the messy stuff. And as you go deeper, seek to exercise and use your spiritual gifts, the gifts that the Spirit of God has given to each one of us. Now, throughout this whole series on the Holy Spirit, we have seen that the Holy Spirit's work is to shine the spotlight on the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the Holy Spirit is the powerful presence of God in each one of us. He is a gift that has been given to us. He is the powerful presence of God dwelling in us, applying to our lives the benefits of salvation that we now have through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the powerful presence of God, revealing the God of love through the word of God, interpreting, inspiring and applying that word to our lives. He is the powerful presence of God, giving us spiritual life now and unending into the future. He is the powerful presence of God that fills us daily and guides us, leads us as we walk this Christian life together. He is the powerful presence of God who works in us to transform us so that our lives look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He works powerfully in us to take us from rebels to children of God. He does that in an instant. And he does that on an ongoing basis. He is the powerful presence of God in us who works through us to build one another up into a community of humility and love. And doing this will show us to be the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the praise and glory of his name. Amen. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for taking us out of that miry clay. Thank you for taking this bunch of rebels and making us your own. And thank you for not just pulling us out of the mud and putting us on safe ground and leaving us there. Thank you for giving us your spirit to change us and grow us to look more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us your spirit, changing us into people who reflect your character, 
Lord, we acknowledge that you gift us to use our gifts for the benefit of everyone who calls upon your name as Saviour and Lord. Spirit, I pray that you will prompt in us and enable us to see the opportunities that you are placing before us. To be able to do that work here and further abroad so that your kingdom might come here and now as you gather more and more people under your wings. Amen. Using our gifts to serve the church and to glorify God can only happen well when we humbly shift our eyes off ourselves and put them onto God.